Blog Talk Radio. Live from Los Angeles, the Win Without Competing Show with Dr. Arlene Barrow, career coach one and author of Win Without Competing. Now, here's Dr. Arlene. Thank you, Virgil. Welcome to my show. In tough economic times, it is especially important to implement my Right Fit Method, which will enable you to win without competing in your career and in your life. Winning in Politics Listen to learn about my Right Fit Method from my guest interviews. My guest today is political powerhouse Lulu Flores, attorney, and President of the National Women's Political Caucus. Executing her presidential duties, Lulu participated in the inaugural festivities. She will share those experiences and explain the role and function that the National Women's Political Caucus plays in electing women to office at all levels. And, of course, we will talk about Lulu's career path, which was rooted in her childhood. Lulu, welcome to the show, and tell us about your inaugural experience. Hi, good evening. Uh, Thank you for having me. Well, um, I was in Washington last week for the very exciting inaugural festivities, and first of all, it was very cold and very crowded, but yet the atmosphere was so festive, and it was uh, like a camaraderie among strangers. Even the hotel staff where we were staying was very excited and very friendly. And and despite all the crowds, everyone was orderly and polite. We were, you know, we were crushed in subway cars, but people were very patient and friendly. And so you could just feel the electricity and the excitement and everybody, and, and you could see it in their faces. It was really quite quite something. Um, I do have to say, though, I was one of those unfortunate blue ticket holders for the inaugural, uh, the inauguration at the Capitol, and unfortunately was closed out of, of entering our designated spot on the Capitol steps. And so there were some very disappointed people, uh, myself among them, who had come a long way to be there. And it was really hard for us to hear since we were off to the side and we were afraid at that very moment of being crushed when the gate was closed. Uh, we finally were able to get out, and we gave up and had to go to our hotel room and thaw out and hear the speech online and watch the parade on television. Um, but later on that evening, um, I was able to attend uh, a ball that the National Women's Political Caucus was a, a sponsoring organization of. It was the Lynx Live Presidential Inaugural Gala, a technology gala held at the beautiful Corcoran Museum. And it was broadcast live, linked live, to several major cities across the country, including my home of Austin, Texas. And I was very honored to present the Link's Life Award to the Honorable Hillary Clinton for her lifetime of work in connecting communities uh, and uh, doing her work for people around uh, around the, 
the country and the world. And what about the luncheon that you attended with uh, Nancy Pelosi? Yes, that was also a highlight. That was a very exciting uh, 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 opportunity as well. Um, she held a, a luncheon at the Carnegie Building, and it was a beautifully a beautiful setting. Uh, there was entertainment by Sheryl Crow and Lyle Lovett and bon, uh, John Von Jovi, and of course this was all in celebration of the new administration. And so. That was also a, a very festive and a very beautiful event that I was able to participate in. Tell us about the National Women's Political Caucus and how does it help women get elected to office? Well, the National Women's Political Caucus is a multipartisan grassroots organization whose mission is to involve women in the political process and to recruit train and support pro-choice women to elected and appointed office. Uh, when I say grassroots, uh, we mean that. We have members who are parts of our local and state chapters who actually do the hands-on volunteer work and uh, help candidates when they are running for office uh, to, uh, to help them get elected. And so uh, we work to help raise money. Um, both at the national and on our state and local level, uh, for these candidates at all levels of government. Now, I know that stepping back for a moment to the inaugural festivities, that you had, you meaning the National Women's Political Caucus in this case, had a special role. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Well, as I mentioned, uh, we did have, we did participate in the Lynx Live inaugural ball as a co-sponsoring organization. And so, uh, we were able, I was given the privilege again of, of, of giving an award to the Honorable Hillary Clinton. Uh, that was, um, a very exciting opportunity. We were also able to showcase, um, a videotape that we produced about the Women's Political Caucus. And uh, we're very excited because, as I said, this was a LinkedIn Live to five major cities across the country, and it was estimated that maybe 17 million viewers had participated. So we were able to uh, share the word about the work of the caucus. So that was a very important opportunity, uh, and, uh, and it was just uh, you know, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for us. In terms of participating in the inaugural festivities, is this something that the National Women's Political Caucus does every four years, or was this a special occasion? That's why I wanted to return to the ball to figure out whether there was something in particular that you were trying to achieve, and that's why you were one of the sponsors. Well, first of all, we wanted to make sure that uh, that the caucus participated in this historic occasion. Uh, but it, actually, in the past, I believe it was eight years ago, or uh, maybe it was 12 years ago, during the second Clinton Clinton inauguration, uh, we actually had a women's ball that the caucus was had put on. So we have had past uh, opportunities, but hadn't done that in a while. So this was an opportunity for us to re-engage in the inaugural festivities and to play a part in a very important um, occasion for the country. Okay. 
when was the caucus founded, who founded it, and what was really their goal at that time of the founding of the caucus? Well, the caucus was founded uh, over 36 years ago in 1971 by the likes of Bella Abzug, Gloria Steinem, Shirley Chisholm, Lupe Anguiano, and others, many other women who joined together to um, create an organization whose chief uh, goal was to increase the number of women in elective office. Uh, when, when it was founded, only 2% of women uh, were represented in Congress, and now we're up to 17%. But as you know, women make up 52% of the population. And, of course, our goal is to have 50-50 by 2020, which means we want to see women in 50% of elective offices in all, at all levels of government, in Congress and state and local levels. So the idea was that in order for women's issues to be brought to the forefront and be paid the proper attention, we needed to have women in office who were going to uh, promote uh, issues that were important to women. And so these women uh, got together in order to make their voices heard and in order to get uh, the parity in elective office. I know that you are always watching to identify what you see as the right fit women who could be successful in terms of winning in politics. How do you go about looking around and identifying and then subsequently grooming these women nationwide? Well, as I said, we're a grassroots organization, so this is a, an organization of politically active women. And so we look first amongst ourselves to see if there are women who have the potential in our own membership who might be uh, a great uh, candidate for political office. Or we see women who self-identify who are interested in running and help those women develop their skills through our campaign skills trainings uh, or through our just various networking uh, opportunities. Uh, we've helped the likes in California. One of our strongest chapters has had great success uh, helping women uh, like Barbara Boxer, uh, Diane Feinstein, Lois Capps, Loretta Sanchez, all these women have been supported when they first run, even for, the, for their low, lower level offices, and have, we've seen them move up. Uh, in New Jersey, for example, we have a rising star state senator, Jennifer Beck, uh, who is a Republican state senator, who's considered a real, uh, a real uh, star, and again, uh, the caucus uh, recognized that potential and helped her when she first, uh, I think, believe it was a county supervisor's position that she first ran for. So we look for women who are, um, you know, have the potential. They're, first of all, we're a pro-choice women's organization, so we look for women who support our bottom line issues of equal rights and, and choice and also quality uh, def dependent and family um, child care. Uh, and then we look for women who have skills and abilities, who have proven themselves or who have performed either in their professional lives or their volunteer lives and have, have exhibited leadership skills uh, and who have gotten results uh, in, their, in their work. And so we feel that sometimes women are reluctant to step up to the plate to run. So an organization such as ours is important to tap women on the shoulders to identify them as leaders and ask them to run. Okay. Uh, let's go a little bit further, and is there any particular success story 
that you would like to share with us in terms of the impact of the caucus on the winning of a particular election? Well, as I mentioned earlier, we you know, women we see we view it as a political pipeline, and women who run for local office tend to continue in their careers and run for higher office. And I mentioned some great names already, but for example, Hilda Solis, who has now uh, been nominated for our Secretary of Labor by President Barack Obama, is an example of somebody who the caucus supported when she first ran for the California Assembly. Uh, also, Bev Perdue, our Governor Bev Perdue uh, of uh, North Carolina, she um, she was helped by the National Women's Political Caucus, both their state chapter, uh, our national uh, caucus did endorse her uh, and uh, raised money for her. And I, I myself went and worked at her on her campaign on Election Day in November. And so she's now the third southern, uh, governor from a, a, a southern state. And so we're very proud of that fact. And it's just an example of how um, women in our organization can uh, help women uh, achieve success in political office. So you're available to help them do whatever they need done? Is that what you're basically saying, Lulu? I was trying to get a visual of the kinds of things you do in particular to help these women succeed. Because I know women who are listening are probably thinking, what, do, what would they really do to help me if I became a member of the caucus? Because I know your organization uh, has a membership of approximately 8,000. So why should a woman want to join? What would be the benefits to that woman? Well, number one, uh, we we invite women to join who are interested in making a difference in, in the political landscape of this country. And so what they would get from us is an opportunity to uh, help women get elected by actively working on campaigns. When we say grassroots, we really mean grassroots. That means women who are members of our organizations at the local or state level. Uh, these are our national members as well, because if you're a member of one, you're the member of all three. Uh, and you actually do uh, do hands-on uh, work. We go door knocking. We do go doorbelling. Uh, different folks call it different things in different states. We go door to door in Texas. Um, you know, we actually provide help. Uh, we also raise funds through our a national pack for congressional candidates and uh, also state and locally we raise money so it's an opportunity to to help in the campaigns of, of these women who need uh, financial and other support so uh, you know these are the types of things that uh, those are the benefits that you would get immediate benefits because you uh, actually have the opportunity to make a difference in the election and the campaigns of these women we also support appointed positions. So uh, if there are women who are interested in serving in the administration, uh, we are uh, working in coalition with other women's organizations to promote the names of, of women who are uh, have certain uh, experience to uh, apply and support them. We do that at the national level and we also do it at the various state chapter levels as well. So uh, it's an opportunity to network with politically connected women it's an opportunity to learn more about the political process. It's an opportunity to help others get elected. And by doing that, we get to promote our issues. 
that are important to us and make sure that we have people in Congress at the state legislatures, at in city and county government, that are responsive to uh, the needs of women. Ooh, Did I that know. answer your question? <laughs> yes, it answered okay. my question. Um, but I also think it might be helpful before we go on to your childhood, because I know <laughs> the listeners are eagerly awaiting to hear about uh, your career and how it was rooted in your childhood. I wanted to kind of go over some of the things that you had said. If a person is thinking as they're listening to the show, am I the right fit to run for political office? How could you kind of give them a brief blueprint of what you see as the potential to run for office? You had mentioned a variety of things, and would appreciate it if you could summarize that. Well, we would, uh, if if a person is interested in running for particular office, we would help in you know analyze whether or not you know the district is a winnable district for that particular candidate for that particular person. Uh, looking at their, you know, organizational abilities, um, giving them the tools through our campaign skills training. If they aren't familiar, as familiar with fundraising techniques, uh, we have those tools that can help. Um, we would also be able to um, help them, uh, you know, with the volunteer work of the day-to-day uh, work of a campaign. Uh, but in order to um, help them identify whether they would be a good candidate, I think by providing them uh, the opportunity to network with women. We've got an example. For example, we've got two women who are our former chapter uh, presidents, local chapter presidents, who are now running for uh, city council races, in, one in L.A. and one in Austin, Texas. And um, they've actually uh, have learned I guess they've achieved and gotten the skills and made the kinds of connections uh, that they've they've needed to to feel like they're ready to launch a campaign. And of course, they've gotten the support from um, the the organization uh, in in helping them make that decision. In terms of speaking up and having the ability to both listen to what other people have to say and probe to figure out what the voters really want. Are those skills something that you focus in on as well? Uh, absolutely. Uh, our, we, our training also encompasses uh, portions on messaging and how you, you get your message across to the voters. First of all, figuring out what the issues of importance are in your particular district is, is critical for any candidate who is who is going to run for office, uh, have to know their district, have to understand it. And then, of course, there's the ability to present oneself and deliver the message so that it, they can show the voters that they, in fact, are the right fit for that particular office. And so within our trainings, we have uh, um, different uh, techniques for you know, getting your message out, uh, learning about the different media for getting your message out, and how to best appeal, you know, to the voter. Now, ideally, it would be wonderful if every single woman that you helped would win, 
the election. But what mm-hmm. do you do if someone loses the election? How do you help that person understand or try to figure out, figure out the contributing factors for the loss? How does one do that so that if the person chooses to run again, I mean, we even know in the case of Barack Obama that he didn't win every single time that he ran. So how would you go about helping a woman to understand the reasons for losing? Well, you know, different races, uh, you know, uh, why, what the contributing factors are to losing a race, uh, you know, is a variable from place to place, uh, time to time, race to race. And so it would be a matter of, of looking at the numbers, see what the turnout was, where perhaps, you know, they, uh, perhaps not enough attention was paid to, to particular areas. Maybe the message wasn't resonating, so it would be, uh, you know, if 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 they chose to do that with us, to go back and help analyze, you know, what it is you, you do different. Now, of course, um, we don't provide necessarily political. Um, uh, we're not political strategists per se, but we do have uh, we do have uh, links to folks who are professionals and who can help women, perhaps. Uh, analyze, you know, what was and was what was their weakness, you know, and uh, of course, and also we provide the very important support for, you know, helping them understand that, you know, if they choose to make another run, that we'll be there for, you know, in, in support. Um, it, it, it's not always, as you say, we've had some candidates of, that who have not made it, um, but. You know, uh, we're we're there and available for them should they choose to to make another attempt, and we encourage them to do that. But we try not to forget those who have have put their hat in the ring and who have uh, put forth the effort because uh, that's a real important uh, piece. I mean, maybe they have helped pave the road for maybe not themselves, maybe another woman to run in that particular seat. That's that's how it works sometimes. Okay. Well, let's go on to your childhood. I'm very (laughs) eager to talk about your childhood. Uh, You were born in Texas. Yes. You were the last of nine children, and that makes you the baby in your family forever. Tell us about your parents and the role they played in shaping the political powerhouse Lulu Flores. Well, um, you, as you said, I was the last of nine kids, and, and my still mo- the baby, and still the baby. Uh, yes, and uh, I guess my siblings are still protective of me. I guess, and maybe even pick on me still <laughs> from oh, time to time. Because you're still the baby in the arrive. Because I'm still the baby. Uh, but actually, they've been very supportive of me and my career. My father was an attorney and an elected official in Laredo, Texas, where I was born and raised. My mother was a teacher and a store manager, and they both had very, very strong values that they instilled in me and my brothers and sisters. They were very hardworking. Um, they were very. They gave back to their community. They believed in public service. And uh, they believed in, in responsibility and also helping the least among us. My father was uh, a, a founding member of LULAC, 
which was a civil rights organization which believed very strongly in education. And so he really valued uh, education and, uh, you know, made sure that uh, others who were less fortunate had the opportunities um, uh, that perhaps, you know, that others had. Uh, they also set very high standards for themselves, uh, and they taught us by example, by their hard work and by their, you know, strong sense of responsibility in public service. Um, so that to helped, uh, you know, not only because my father was an attorney, and uh, that gave me some um, a role model early on uh, about uh, wanting to be an attorney myself. And my mother gave me, through her example, uh, she taught me very much about commitment to service and charity, uh, you know, to make sure that um, I, you know, gave back and served the community as well. I'd like to step back to high standards because, mm-hmm. as you know, we have a troubled economy, which does reflect to an extent that we have lowered our standards. Can you give us some more information and explain how your dad set an example with respect to high standards? Because high standards is also the foundation of the right fit method. Well, he had very high expectations of himself and he uh, expected, you know, he worked, as I said, really hard to make sure that uh, he not only uh, com- completed his responsibilities, but also in a very ethical way um, and making sure that, um, you know, all of us understood the importance of of honesty and fairness and, you know, doing the right thing and, uh, you know, and and really holding yourself uh, to that accountability. Um, He held himself accountable and really um, because we saw how hard he worked and how, you know, the way he comported himself and the way he treated people with respect um, you know, it, it, it translated into us learning those those very, uh, you know, values. So he basically set the standard himself, and then you used him as a role model. Would you say that's an apt description, Lulu? Absolutely. And my mother, too, you know, and my mom, too. She was a very uh, uh, respectful and kind person, and... Um, and did her job when she went to work as a teacher and later as a store manager, um, worked very, very hard, worked long hours, you know, to make sure she did, when she said she was going to do a job, she would do it, she would do it and she would do it right and she would do it well. And I think that's something that all of my uh, siblings have, uh, have, uh, have built into us. (laughs) So would you say that, in essence, to set the high standard, you keep raising the bar for yourself so that you get better and better and better at what you're doing. Would you say that's an apt description? Yeah, I would. Uh, yes, of course. Um, you know, nobody nobody can be perfect. Nobody is perfect. Uh, but you can expect, uh, you know, um, you can you can you can expect the best of yourself, the best that you can do. 
take us back to the days when you were a child, when you went to your dad's office. Um, what did you learn by visiting him, and what did you do as a child in his office? Well, um, you know, mom, dad would had at his career. He had a law office, and he also was an elected official. So he basically had two jobs. So found himself working evenings and and Saturdays. And so on Saturday afternoons, or sometimes in the evenings, uh, we might find ourselves at my father's office and uh, waiting for him. And of course, he'd be visiting with clients. So we would have to be try not to make noise. Or so he would put me to to work <laughs> or put me on the typewriter in the other office and there was an old you know um, manual typewriter and he would give me you know here type these warranty deed clauses or something just to entertain me and so I would you know uh, that that sort of gave me a feel for you know what it was he was doing I watched him within his exchanges with his clients and um uh, you know how much they respected him and his knowledge, and he was always very, um, you know, um, how could I say, patient sometimes with his clients. That because uh, sometimes you know folks come to lawyers after they've uh, are you know they're already in trouble or there's a kind of a mess that needs fixing. So you know, daddy would have to walk them through the steps, and uh, so I saw how you know he really took his the role of counselor at law very seriously because he would counsel these people and you know I just saw his work ethic uh, while I was at his office and you know I think it planted a seed in me at an early age that this was something that I that I would be interested in doing. I know that you had told me when we would spoken before the show that your dad did not heavily focus in on money he was more concerned with helping people. Is that uh, correct? Right. He was very, very generous, and he was, you know, he wasn't worried about people's ability to pay. Um, in fact, he, because where we grew up was a, a smaller city, uh, knew everybody quite well and, and kind of knew their financial circumstances. So, in fact, if he knew they were uh, perhaps not quite able to pay, he would hold back on sending them the bill until, you know, things got better for them. Uh, so, yeah, he wasn't the most, um, <laughs> he wasn't driven by by profit in that way. I mean, he did have family to provide for, but at the same time, he was he was generous and, uh, and um, understanding of people's, um, you know, financial situations. Your guiding beacon is the pursuit of truth and justice. Your passion to improve society is reflected throughout your career. Take us back to your position as Chief of Staff to Irma Rangel, the first Hispanic woman who was elected to the Texas House of Representatives. And before we get into the details, I can't wait to hear why did she hire you, and how did she decide that you were the right fit? Well, um, it's kind of a funny story because um, the way I met Irma Rangel, the lady Irma Rangel, was through my sister. So it goes back to my siblings and the high standards because my siblings were also role models. As being the youngest, I got to watch them and what they did. 
And my sister, before uh, she's about three, or f- about four years older than I am, and went to law school before me, um, and worked actually worked for Irma Van Hell. She was a, a member of the the Women's Political Caucus of Texas, and uh, they actually helped Irma Van Hell when she first ran for office. Uh, when she uh, ran for office in South Texas, so we go back to the caucus. My sister was a member back then. Uh, and um, when somebody recommended that they hire her, and uh, because she set such high standards for Irma's office, Irma <laughs> basically, Irma basically wanted a clone, and figured that uh, since I was in law school two years um, behind her, that once my sister graduated and had to go to move to Houston to take a job with a, a federal judge, that. Of course, if I was her sister, I should be able to do the same type of job that my sister had done for her. So, um, you know, I met Irma, and of course, we hit it off. Um, she also wanted to have uh, lawyers or law students working for her because she was a lawyer herself um, and wanted to make sure that her office had um, role models and change the image of, of Latinas who are working at the Capitol. She wanted them, you know, to show that uh, there were those of us who were were professionals or, you know, or were lawyers to be and could handle the jobs that, you know, maybe heretofore were handled by by men or, you know, and, and so she was very mindful of that. So it's interesting. Your sister set the standard against which no one can compete. Um, the, uh, oh, I blew it away. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was waiting to hear that. Now, Lulu, we're deciding that you're a person who wins without competing here. So, <laughs> given that's the case, you're also setting the standard. And that the first Hispanic woman elected to the Texas House of Representatives who also set the standard, was looking for another person to hire to set the standard. I'm gathering that if your sister had not left her position, you would not have been hired, right? Uh, may, probably not. Or right. uh, she, she may have brought me on. Uh, she, she actually brought me on as an aide uh, so she could, I guess Irma could test me and, and you know, tried me out, and, it, and I guess I passed the test. Uh, Irma was very similar to my parents. She was raised also by two very hardworking and generous parents who set high expectations. And, and so Irma uh, expected very much of herself and held herself to those same high standards and, and always demanded my best. She, you know, what she, she, was, she drove um, me and her other staff very hard, but, you know, we respected her. She just... Um, Wanted the best, uh, knew we could knew we could perform, and expected it of us. And so, based on that, um, you know, she helped me. You know, she helped me uh, tremendously in, uh, you know, working up to uh, first of all, you know, setting my standards high and 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 working to meet them. You've held many management positions throughout your career, which you peppered with community service and a strong political commitment to improve government at all levels. What accomplishments 
or achievements are dear to your heart? Well, when I first went to work for Irma, um, uh, I uh, worked with her. She was a co-sponsor for the first domestic violence legislation passed in Texas, which provided funding for shelters and also created the protective orders. And it was I was very proud to have uh, had a part in, in working on getting those pieces of legislation passed. So forever that'll be a, a real important, uh, you know, part of my uh, career and my um, my work for her. Uh, but throughout, um, I've also, I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that I mentor young girls. Uh, Irma was also very much um, an example in that regard. She always reminded us that you can never close the door behind you. You always have to reach back and pull somebody else up the ladder. So I, through my work with the Hispanic Bar Association, have um, mentored young girls at elementary schools, young Hispanic girls, to help them find their voice and find their way through school. In fact, I'm still doing that. Uh, I was also on the board of Planned Parenthood for many years, and as a board member and even just as a as a citizen and as a member of the caucus, uh, lobbied uh, many sessions in a row to, uh, as a citizen lobbyist, <laughs> for women's reproductive rights and protecting those rights. And so that's always, you know, a, a, an important part of, of what, what I've done and I've been very proud of um, and worked on a, I was, I was appointed to a um, sex, sexuality education task force for the uh, Austin Independent School District and uh, worked hard uh, on that because I wanted to make sure that we had accurate and age-appropriate education for, for our kids uh, so that they're protected. Um, so those are just some of the things that um, I'm proud to have worked on. In terms of mentoring the the girls, what impact would you say your mentoring has had on them in terms of their careers? Well, um, throughout, I, I know that uh, when I was I mentored some uh, young uh, students in college who uh, were part of a program with the Hispanic Chamber, and um, they were first generation college students. Uh, in fact, they were children of migrant workers and. In fact, some of them, one of my first mentees, one is a school kindergarten teacher here in Austin, and she loves it, and she's wonderful. And uh, another is a comptroller at a law office. She went on to business, you know, stayed and made it through college and be- went through business school and uh, is, is works at a law office uh, as, a, as a comptroller for the firm. So those are two examples. The other young women that I've... Um, mentored. Um, One's right now is a junior, the youngest of a family that I've been associated with for the last 12 years. Um, The other girls, one has children, but she's uh, trying to balance, you know, working uh, as well as, you know, finishing up at a community college. Uh, Her younger sister is, um, is right now a junior at the Liberal Arts and Science Academy. That was a very proud moment when she was accepted to that. And is doing quite well, and now we're talking about you know college, and this would be the first uh, person, you know, first uh, member of her family to do that. So um, I'm very hopeful for her, and um, you know, we're I'm working hard to make sure she can, we can, we can get that, reach that goal for her. It's wonderful what you've done and achieved. 
both. You know, sometimes people get doing and achieving confused. You know, we can do something. That doesn't always mean that we can achieve something. And in your situation, you have many achievements to point to, and I think that's terrific. Well, thank you. A lot of them are still works in progress. <laughs> well, that's fine. That's fine. We're going to look forward to talking with you in the future and hearing more about that. Now, on to your husband. Uh, you're married to attorney Scott Handler, who is the founding principal of his own law firm. How do you balance your professional and personal life? Well, it's it's work, and I will say that. Um, we don't have children, so I guess that makes it easier for us than many other married couples with families. Uh, um, I do try to spend time with my adopted family, my mentees, uh, but nonetheless, uh, not the everyday um you know uh family responsibilities uh we're both very busy we both travel a lot with our respective uh positions me currently with the as president of the caucus i go you know state to state to visit our chapters and um and he of course with his practice um what we try to do is um you know make time for each other i try to travel with him as often as i can we try to make time uh, during business trips to um, add a day days on to the trip perhaps so that we can have time together try to make it a point that at least once or twice a year to get away um, to make sure we reconnect because it can be it's easy to <laughs> disconnect when both of us are working late hours and uh, traveling so much so we do have to make a concerted effort to make sure that we take time for ourselves to to rejuvenate and to um, reestablish our connections. Uh, both of us enjoy politics very much, so that's very helpful because we both enjoy sharing our home and holding political events, um, fundraisers for people running at all levels. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm already planning two more in, in February and March, and uh, it's we've been blessed to have, to be able to have a nice home, big home, a uh, bigger home, and we're, we're, we're happy to share that and uh, with uh, people in the community as well. Not only fundraisers, but fundraisers for community uh, groups as well. Um, so that's been a blessing that we both have similar interests and are able to share in those particular aspects. So uh, I also, we both like to... Um, exercise uh I have always been very conscious of and uh protective of my physical well-being and uh so I do yoga I used to run I ran for over 30 years and I swim uh and so I make sure I calendar that that time in for myself as well and and he does too so that we can you know make sure that we're healthy I try to eat together every evening uh even though it's very late sometimes but it's that time to reconnect so that's kind of how we do it. Sounds good to me. Um, <laughs> sounds like you, you have a right-fit career and a right-fit marriage. Am I correct, <laughs> Lulu? Uh, yeah, I, yes, we, yes, I do. I, 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 I feel very blessed. Where can we meet you in person? I know that our listeners would love to meet you, 
and I know that you will be coming to California, so can you tell us something about that and your travels across the country and your speaking? Well, you're right about California. In August, August 7th through the 9th, we're having our biennial convention in Newport Beach, uh, August 7th and 9th, and that will be um, where we get to have our elections, and we will be um, having speakers and trainings and hopefully some fun and some spa experiences. So uh, folks can look on our website to get more information about that. Uh, I also, I was I just got back from a trip to Boston where I was visiting Simmons uh, College and uh, Pine Manor College, and that's part of my goal for this year is to visit more campuses because I want to reach out to younger women to get them involved. Um, so I am uh, busy scheduling or have somebody helping me schedule uh, campus tours. I don't have a list yet, but I'm hoping to be in the New York area in in um the spring and uh late um hopefully late March, early April. We um, be posting that on the uh caucus's website so people can watch for you. Yeah, once once we get a, a firm commitments we will be doing that and uh and also we'll be having a board meeting here in Austin, Texas, April the 17th, 18th and 19th. So, we'll be I'll be here in my hometown uh entertaining members of my national board here and we'll be holding a president circle event at a movie studio, Spiderwood Studios, uh which ought to be a fun event. My uh first vice president Linda Young um is working hard on on that um on that event and so that ought to be fun. Um, but I will be posting uh, more information on our website as we as we get as we get more con- confirmations as, as to where I'll have opportunities to be speaking. Okay. And in terms of women who are interested in running for office who would like to contact you, could you share your email address? Sure. That is president at nwpc.org. Lulu, it has just been a delightful conversation. Thank you for joining me today. I look forward to having another stimulating conversation with you soon. Well, thank you, Dr. Barrow. It's been my pleasure. I've enjoyed it immensely. And um, I look forward to uh, continuing our visits. Uh, I've enjoyed it very much. And just one last parting word, our website is www.nwpc.org. And I welcome every, anybody to that site. Uh, but thank you for having me as your guest. I've enjoyed it. Thank you again so much. Please join me again next Wednesday, February 4th at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. My guest will be Grace Tiscarino Sato, Senior Global Marketing Manager of Unified Communications with the Siemens Enterprise Communications Group. Grace made dramatic career changes in search of herself, which she passionately describes through her storyteller role in my latest book, Win Without Competing, which was nominated for a Business Book Award. 
I look forward to hearing from you. Please email me at drbarrow, that's D-R-B-A-R-R-O, at winwithoutcompeting.com, or call me directly, 310-441-5305, that's 310-441-5305. You don't want to miss my January 28th blog posting on Blog Talk Radio. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Robert Frost. Take the right fit road, and here you're hired. Please go to my Blog Talk Radio page to learn how to do it, to learn how to hear you're hired. Until next time, remember this trigger tip. It's all up to you to set a standard against which no one can compete. Goodbye for now. This is Dr. Arlene, author, Win Without Competing, and Career Coach One.